Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh, man. That's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl and afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Is This Real Life, a podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of pop culture and reality TV to our own lives. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 56. In case you haven't noticed, I have started posting every other week instead of every week just because it gives me more time to put into the episodes and make them that much more awesome. This week, my guest is Jess from the podcast The Real Housewife of the West Side. Jess has a lot of insight into what's going on in Beverly Hills and has personally met many of the housewives of Beverly Hills, so can't wait to get her take on everything. We don't have a lot of time to get into um, Vanderpump Rules or The Real Housewives of Atlanta, so I'm going to do a very, very short recap right now. So this week on Vanderpump Rules, we saw Tom Sandoval in vegan leather go in to try and buy a motorcycle so that he could ride to Tom Tom on the opening day with Tom Schwartz on a bike. <laughs> it was such a great scene. Now, Schwartz's triplet brothers come visit and they all go out to some nightclub where James Kennedy is DJing while they're all very drunk. Tom and Tom decide that they need to have some sort of bachelor-type party before they start to work for a year at TomTom. As if they're going to stop partying, please. Anyways, it's an excuse for a cast trip to Mexico, and they invite James Kennedy to come. But when Katie finds out that James is invited, she flips her shit. She's so upset with her husband, Schwartz, that he would even think about inviting James Kennedy and immediately tells Schwartz that Sandoval needs to uninvite James Kennedy, which leads to a huge brawl between Katie and Tom Sandoval, which was not very pretty to watch, especially because Schwartz and Sandoval are not only business partners, they're best friends. And to see Sandoval go after Schwartz's wife was not a great look, even if he made a few good points about how Katie really has been a bully, especially in the past, not necessarily with James. And, you know, why should he be treated different than other people? Now, Katie was so upset, she wasn't really able to articulate her point very well. But I think 
the big part of it is that other people who've messed up in the past, one, have atoned for it. They've kind of owned what they did. James Kennedy apologizes, but then he goes back to fat shaming and saying all of the nasty things he said before. And also, the people in the past had prior friendships with each other. Like Katie and Kristen and Stassi were all friends before the before the show started, and James wasn't. So they sort of have this like friendship equity. And I think, you know, if you look back, it really did take Stassi, you know, a year to get back in Katie's good graces. And it took Kristen a while to get back in Stassi's good graces. It's just something that takes time. So for them to think a few weeks passing and James being quote unquote sober will solve everything, I think is a bit premature. Now, some other thoughts. So Kristen and Carter are now trying to show the world and their friends on social media how happy they are. But something is just so dark about their relationship, I can't get over it. And the thing that stood out the most to me was that Kristen said if she was going to marry anyone, it would be Carter. But not because she loves him or because they're so close or because he's her best friend, but because she's getting older. Yes, because she's getting older. That's when you settle. Please, Kristen, listen to your friends. They probably know better if he's good for you or not. And you're more likely to lie to yourself uh, than your friends are. So uh, if I were you, I would listen to your friends and maybe get rid of him. It doesn't sound like he's contributing much to the relationship. Don't be so afraid to be single, but be afraid to be in a relationship and incredibly unhappy. So that's all I think about this week's Vanderpump Rules. Now, on The Real Housewives of Atlanta, there is the fallout from Closet Gate, where Portia and Candy went into Nini's closet. A cameraman followed them in. Nini ripped the shirt off the cameraman and apparently got physical with everybody. There was some sort of situation involving a belt that Portia won't speak about because she believes it would end her friendship with Nini. Well, it seems as if they spoke about it on the reunion because Nini is no longer friends with Portia or anyone else on the entire cast. She unfollowed everyone on Instagram, except for Shamari and Marlo, but Marlo's a friend of, as we all know. It was really crazy watching, you know, the fallout and how everyone's just tiptoeing around Nini. And next week is Ava's wedding and, or Eva's wedding. I've been saying her name wrong this whole time. And it'll just be really interesting to see what happens there because it seems as if Nini and Greg have been talking about splitting up, which is something that she hasn't really brought up until now. The other thing we saw was Candy's dungeon party, which was really just very candy. I really loved seeing Cynthia get on stage and be incredibly uncomfortable about being sexual with Candy. That was hilarious. I also thought it was so funny that they had a prayer circle before going on stage for what was basically a sex party. (laughs) So, you know... And it ends with Marlo telling Shamari that she's worried about her drinking and suggested maybe she needs to talk to someone about it. That doesn't 
land very well for Shamari, who's just saying that she's a mother of young twins and needs to let loose sometimes. She also can't drink as much as she did before breastfeeding, and so maybe that's why she got drunk so quickly. Um, She basically says that... You may be a motherfucker, but you're not a fucking mother To uh, in the confessional about Marlo. Now, I don't know why everyone needs to talk about how Marlo doesn't have a family, and they do. It seems like kind of a really like nasty dig, and I'm not about it. Um, at the same time, Marlo should definitely not be going around telling people that they have drinking problems. Um, I think it's up to people to figure that out on their own. And if you're going to do it, do it in a really kind way, uh, like an intervention or something like that off camera. I think she's just trying to stir up shit like she always does, but we love Marlo for that. Okay, now with my guest, Jess from The Real Housewife of the West Side. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 56. I'm here with Jess from The Real Housewife of the West Side, a podcast all about pop culture, Bravo, Lifetime movies, and reality TV. So excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited. So should we get into it? Um, I feel like... Let's start with Beverly Hills. Oh my gosh. Are you exhausted over Lucy Lucy Apple Juice Gate yet? <laughs> poor Lucy Lucy. I shouldn't say poor. She has a new home now, I've heard. So um, we can all rest easy. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I know that Andy said it's not going to be the entire season. Um, but I, like, I'm good if it ends now. Like I'm, I'm good. I think we've had enough. Although I, I mean, I think it's going to go a couple more episodes. But um, yeah, I feel like there are two very divided uh, sides, and um, I'm a little trepidatious to say that I'm kind of team everybody else. On this one. Oh, I, I think I am too. I think Jorie <laughs> messed up so badly. Oh, yes. The real issue is that Lisa keeps doing these things. And mm. I she's manipulative. And I think she's fantastic. I love her on the show. Yes. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think she's a great friend. I I always am a little Agreed. bit suspicious of women who don't seem to be able to form strong female friendships. Mm-hmm. I feel like it shows a level of insecurity or maybe narcissism that like doesn't allow them to form close bonds. And I feel like even though her and Kyle are good friends, Kyle's afraid of her. And that's not a true friendship. Well, and I think that... I've said this before. I think that Kyle and Lisa have a very interesting dynamic. And, okay, so if we go back to, like, the very beginning of Beverly Hills, that it's not like Kyle and LVP have been friends for 20 years before this whole show started and things like that. I think when the show first started, Lisa Vanderpump 
is does have legit money and legit businesses and she is you know at the time she lived in Beverly Park which is the only gated community in in Beverly Hills and the people that live in Beverly Park are like David Beckham lives there Mark Wahlberg like legitimate money you have to have legitimate money to live there and so my and this is my opinion um <laughs> someone like Kyle, who I feel like is always trying to um, not so much legitimize herself, but I feel like, I feel like, okay, you know, the dynamic between like Kyle, Kim and Kathy, her sister, Kathy, not big Kathy. I feel like they always had this like push and pull dynamic where it's like, you know, like Kim was the bigger star in the beginning. And then Kathy was the bigger star because she married a Hilton. And then I feel like Kyle, especially being the baby, she was kind of always the one that was like, well, what about me? What about me? And, and I feel like she even vocalized that, you know, when Kim was still on the show, like, you know, Kim acted. So she wanted to act and she was like, I just wanted to do it. She did. So I feel like she kind of replays that dynamic in, in her other relationships with women, especially with LVP because I feel like, you know, since the beginning she was like, Oh, I want to be this, you know, woman of society. I want to be, you know, held in such high regard or whatever. And so it's like, I feel like that's what she does with Lisa Vanderpump. It's like, even though Lisa Vanderpump will do these super fucked up things to her, like if we look back to, you know, the whole issue with the tabloids in the bag with Brandy, which I rewatched I re I went back and rewatched from season one last summer. Oh my gosh, you were Now, well, I had like <laughs> a bunch of tax paperwork to do, and I was like, "What the hell else am I going to do?" Um. Anyways, and if you go back now and watch it, like at least I had a very different view of it because at the time I was totally like, "What?" Like, and now looking back, I'm like, "Oh my god, Lisa Vanderpump completely did that." So. I think that even though Lisa Vanderpump will do things like that, Kyle is still almost like an apologist, you know, for her. She excuses poor behavior by people close to her. Yes. And she doesn't like to be a polarizing figure. And even at the dinner at Bahamar, you saw her at that dinner table, you know, before Lisa got up and left, or maybe it was after Lisa got up and left. She, you know, everyone kind of looked at her like, well, what do you think? And she was like, I mean, you know, that's Lisa. That's what she does. That's what, It's like she was so afraid to say, you know, yeah, I can't believe she did that or whatever it is, you know? And even though she is like BFFs with Teddy now, I feel like in, in this week's episode, she, you know, did stand up for Teddy a little bit, but I feel like she's still like a little bit afraid to go up against LVP. Oh, she's terrified terrified and I think it's only when every single one of the other women besides Denise stands up to LVP that Kyle mm-hmm. finds her voice right and I bet that the buildup is them kind of encouraging her to confront Lisa and that's yeah. that first you know scene that we saw right I think on that's the first episode I think that's what's going to happen yeah so you've been out in LA for a really long time So do you have any inside scoop on these ladies and what they're really like and Mauricio and, you know, lawsuit? I I do. And I, um, the 
first and the third episodes of my Patreon. The first one, I go into a bunch of um, information about Dorit. And then the third episode, I go into a bunch of information about um, Kyle and Mauricio, uh, some stuff regarding their marriage, the lawsuits, all of it. So I... And I'll say, okay, I'll say it's it's alleged, whether I heard it from <laughs> reputable sources or not. Um, so yeah, that's the one thing I forget who I was saying this to, but it's it's a little hard for me to have an objective point of view because I do have, like with Kyle, for instance, I have had many personal interactions with her that it's very hard for me to like her <laughs> as a person, let alone a character. So, and the same with Dorit and, you know, even like when I learned she was going to be on the show, I was like, oh shit. But yeah, so it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to have a, just like a viewership of them, um, with some of them, which is also, I mean, if you flip it the other way, I know a lot of people are really pissed off at Lisa Renner right now. Um, but I'm sorry. I love Lisa Rinna. Me she's too. Always- she's my favorite housewife, hands down, every single, like, across all of the franchises. I... I have no apologies. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. I I adore her, and I think that she'd be really nice in person. And if she's, she's not, I don't want to hear it. Very nice in person. Um, She has always... At least with me, she's exactly as she is on the show. She's always been very, very nice, very, um, like, not put upon. Yeah, so I think Lisa Rinna would be the most fun to spend time with. I it's It must be so crazy knowing them or having interacted with them from your professional life and to see them on TV and maybe acting differently than what they really are and playing kind of a character. I think that would really frustrate me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm going to lunch with any of them. Um, but yeah, Lisa Rinna, I I was just talking to um, Eliza Rosen about it, actually. And she loves Lisa Rinna, too. But she was like, I'm kind of annoyed with her this season. I was like, really? I still love her. But it, and Teddy is actually very nice, too. I just I did Teddy's program. And I'm not like a huge fan. That's my only issue with her. But um, oh, you did. Oh, you're the one that um, Aaron Martin was talking about. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. she was telling me about yeah. someone and how it was super militant and, like, not that great. Yes, yes. It was um, – I mean, there are definitely parts of it that I, you know, kept. The It's just – I would say as – so, I mean, me, myself, having had a history with eating disorders, I would say if you have had that experience, it's probably not a great option for you yeah. um, <laughs> just because it is very restrictive. But it works. It didn't work as well as I thought it would. But I don't know. I, I did go into that on my Patreon as well. But Well, yeah, everyone it's... needs to listen to Jess's Patreon because it <laughs> sounds so like the place to be. Now, before we move on, I have one question. Has yes. Mauricio cheated? Um, in your opinion? It, in my opinion... I may have allegedly heard that he has. Is it something that's like an ongoing problem or like happened once? Uh, from what <laughs> I heard, <laughs> I'm trying to be really careful here. From what I have heard, 
it is possibly allegedly an ongoing situation. Okay. I feel like based on our conversation just a few minutes ago where we said Kyle's just always apologizing, I feel like she would make excuses. But at the same time, he comes across so well on TV, which is shocking to read about his lawsuit and falling in well, outs that he's had. Listen, having, having encountered him many times, he is one very attractive. Oh my gosh, he's the um, hottest husband. He's gorgeous. He is the nicest person you will ever meet. Very, um, you know what he is? He's, he's suave. He's very, I mean, listen, the most interaction I've ever had with him is like waiting. He and I waiting for our cars at the same time at a valet stand, (laughs) Um, which oddly enough has happened like two or three times. I, I don't know why, but, oh, no, actually I do know why, because there's this Mexican restaurant, um, in Beverly Hills. That's like not a big deal at all, but Apparently, he likes that restaurant a lot, too, as do I. So I think that's why I see him there. It's just so shocking to me because his daughters all, like, worship him. They love him. And Farah, who's not even his biological daughter, works for him. And I feel like they're also super protective of their mom. So yes, I feel like if he had done something so egregious and they knew, they would be very upset. So Here is what I'll say. Okay, if we look back at Kyle's childhood, her mother, and this isn't, this is something that Kyle herself, I think, said, yeah, or it's been about written about or whatever. Her mother was cheated on or had a husband that wasn't faithful. And her, I believe that the message she gave the three girls was, you know, you marry rich, you turn your head the other way, you do what you have to do, and you carry on. And, you know, she told all her girls, marry rich, and, you know, those were kind of her. So I can see from that if you were yeah. raised with that mentality that you turn your head the other way, that your status and your social standing is of up is of the utmost importance, how you can legitimize it in your head. Also, having heard details behind certain stories from, you know, very reputable people, I guess what I'm saying is if everyone knew the backstory behind everything, like the real backstory, it would make a lot of sense. Okay. So, I mean, I'm inclined yeah. to believe you. It's just, it's it's hard for me because it shatters this image I have of them being like a really functional family. And not to say that people who have marital problems aren't functional. It's just if she's in it and she's monogamous and he's in it and he's not, that that's a problem. Now, the only inside scoop I've got is that I went to the George Washington University as well. (laughs) Yes, that's right. I was going to ask you about that. So I spent some time digging into trying to figure out what dorm room Sophia was in. I do know (laughs) that she pledged Kappa Kappa Gamma. Um, They were fine. I had friends who were in Kappa. I was in Alpha Phi. Um, But Alpha Phi at GW had a scandal last year, so I wouldn't expect her to pledge after that. Um, (laughs) They disgraced us. (laughs) So, but what happened was, 
my friend and I were texting back and forth trying to figure out what dorm she was in. And I was a freshman a long time ago. So they actually changed some of the freshman dorms since we were there. And we figured out she was likely in, I think, Potomac House, uh, which wasn't, I think, an option when we were freshmen. Okay. So, but it did look very similar. We figured out with like the still shots of what. (laughs) You're tracking it down. It is a great school, and um, I don't believe that her parents pulled any strings to get her in there. I think she's That's just what I smart. Was going to ask you if you think there was a Lori Laughlin situation. I don't think so. Which, it's not that kind of a school. I mean, maybe it okay. is, but it doesn't have a very strong endowment compared to some other schools. Mm-hmm. And so, but <laughs> right. I went on Sophia's Instagram because I wanted to try and figure out more. And that's how I found out she pledged Kappa Kappa Gamma. Got and it. I saw that someone wrote a really mean comment to her about how her parents probably bribed to get her in the school. And she was <gasps> like, "Real." she wrote back to that, like the troll. And she was like, that's really offensive. I worked really hard in high school and I got it on my own merit. Oh, well, good. Well, I will say I I know which high school that all of those girls went to. It's a private um, Jewish high school in LA. It's and it's a tough high school. It is very difficult to get in and not just difficult to get in from a a financial standpoint, um, because obviously, when you apply to private schools in LA, you have to, you know, pay this suggested donation and you have to, you know, there's a bunch of hoops, whatever. But you have to like you can't just go to any elementary school and just automatically get in like your your test scores and everything like you have to be That's you know so apply and get in crazy so. to me it's just elementary school like what kind of test scores and elementary school? like what matters who cares i mean like the her, that high school is just um 8 through 12, I think. Yeah. So it would be like your sixth or seventh grade score, whatever okay. the fuck that is. Or, or no, maybe seventh or I don't remember. Like but that. yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And I know that they went to a private, um, a private school before that too. So it is, the high school is not very big and it's, it's a high school that, um, and the only re- I know that the only reason I know these things is because I was in, in education before. Um, but it's a high school that like, I think the, I don't want to call them lame herbs, but I don't know what the right word is, but the lowest uh, status or whatever of their graduates, I think like the worst school they go to is like UCLA, which is where I went. So I can say that. But um, <laughs> UCLA is such a good school. No, it is. It is. It's just living in LA. It's it's like, um, I mean, I transferred in from another state, but if you, you know, are, a, are an LA resident, it's like, oh, UCLA, like whatever. It's not like, I don't know. Like if you go to USC, a lot of people look at you and be like, oh, well you go to a state school, like kind of like that. Okay. But, um, anyway, but no, I think her high school, like most of the graduates go to, you know, private universities. A lot of them go to Ivy league, whatever. So I, I wouldn't, I gandered maybe for a second. I was like, huh, I wonder if they got her in. But I can see her getting in on her own merit just because they did go to such a good high school, I guess. Yeah. Is what my I point. love is that GW clearly wanted that airtime. And so <laughs> <laughs> they're like, film. Yes, you can totally film. Here's like, you know, I'm sure they cleared the dorm for filming. And yeah. of course, they stayed at the Willard Hotel and went to eat at Occidental. It's just so funny to see that. 
Another housewife, um, Cynthia Bailey, her daughter went to a school in D.C., went to Howard University, and they did show her moving in as well, but I felt like they showed less of the campus. Mm. Yeah, I guess it just depends on what, you know, what they can get. What uh, they can get permits for and approve. Yeah, what they can get for. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that they moved Sophia in not on, not during move-in day. They moved her in a day early. Oh, yeah, probably. Because it was a double, so she's going to have a roommate. They probably yeah. didn't clear for the roommate to be there at the same time. They didn't. Right. Sh- there was no noise of like people back and forth in the hallway. Yeah, exactly. It was like, very quiet. Is insane. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's yeah. moving well, in at the same time. You would have had to get releases from all those people. Yeah, and I mean, having been a like not on a reality show in the in the sense of like being a character on the reality show, but being like one of those people that's like a. You know, when they come into, you're like, you're there, like, by default or whatever. I mean, it's um, never happened to me in Washington, D.C., but I would <laughs> love it. <laughs> Real Housewives of Potomac, um, please come film near me. <laughs> what I was going to say is I um, it, I don't think that they probably were even really moving her in. It's what I was going to say. I'm probably – not that it's scripted or anything. It's just a lot of times in reality shows – They'll be like, okay, this is the situation. And then they'll film you like going in the door. They'll be like, okay, something was in the way. Can you do it again? Or your clipboard was in the way. So I don't think that they were probably even really like. Well, she didn't have any bags with her or anything. I think they were like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) They were just taking, they were surveying the space. Yes. Yes, exactly. So funny. So anything else about the episode you found interesting? Um, I really need LVP to just stop it with the pink thing. Anyone can wear pink. You did not trademark the color. Yeah. And, oh, I did find this interesting that PK said, and don't get me wrong, I think PK is, like, vile and disgusting, um, but I did find it interesting that he made that comment to Dorit when he was having his whatever, like, after noon white wine. Um <laughs> But he was like, well, you know, she is a very manipulative and conniving person. And I was like, oh. And he's like, I don't really mind it except for when it's aimed at my wife. Yeah, exactly. He's like, it's fine if she's fucking someone else over. But, you know. And the other thing, I can't remember who I said this to, but I kind of have a side theory that um, possibly – because even last season – LVP, you know, that's when the whole thing with LVP started where she said to Jerry, you know, like, well, I'm much closer with PK. I only like you because you're married to him, whatever. I have this theory because, you know, this is PK's second marriage and he has, you know, his ex-wife that he had those two daughters with. I believe she still lives in the UK. So I have this theory and this is just completely based on nothing. Um, I have this theory that maybe LVP is still friends with the ex-wife and maybe because you know how she said like she and PK go back 40 years or whatever and PK is more the age that LVP is so and from what I've heard about PK's ex-wife they were about the same age whereas Dorit is in her early 40s so I'm this is my theory she's got dirt on that first marriage that's what I think. Yes. That's what totally. I think. Totally. I 100% see it now. And I think she maybe has an allegiance to the ex-wife. Because, you know, when people get divorced, it's like, okay, you 
you know, you stay close with one, whatever. And even if she may have, you know, still talk to PK, I'm sure if that ex-wife is friends with LVP, she, LVP automatically isn't going to like Dorit, yeah. you know? That so, is, yeah. And the wow. fact that when, when Dorit and PK first got married, that's when I knew Dorit was when they were engaged and and like right when they got married. And that Dorit is a lot different than today's Dorit. Sans accent? Uh, sans accent, sans different nose, sans different clothes, sans a couple pounds. There, There's a lot different going on. So I could see that's probably the other thing that even though LVP – can be manipulative. I do believe that LVP can sniff out bullshit. And I think she sees Dorit's bullshit a mile away and she's like, she's not buying it. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's my theory. Shall we go into New York? Yes. New York is like, God for these women. My God. New York is like, this is what I, I think I texted this to Aaron the other day. When I watched New York, I feel like I'm on vacation. Like, I feel like I may as well be, like, at the spa, at the Four Seasons, like, looking at the ocean. Like, that's what I feel like when I watch New York. I love it. They give us everything. These women have been through so much trauma. And they still deliver. And the thing is, a few of them are so delusional. They all are, actually, in their own way. That they can't even allow themselves to like script the show. Mm-hmm. Like they may go in with like, oh, I want to make this season about whatever, and it can't right. because they're so in their own heads. Right. So right. it was so interesting to me though to see sort of the blondes and the brunettes. That's sort mm-hmm. of how everything, and then Sonia, who is not necessarily blonde or brunette. Is the one in the middle. She's <laughs> between the two. She's a little ash blonde, maybe a little light brown, but like depending on the day, depending on the extension, yeah, depending on you know, there's a lot of factors. So I felt bad for her. I feel like she's trying really hard to be a good friend to Luann, who was in rehab for either 14 days or three weeks, depends on who you ask, <laughs> and is recently sober. And also being friends with, you know, Ramona, who she's staying at Ramona's house. And Ramona is her, like, longtime friend, too. Yes. So she's in a bad place because Luann is very unhappy with Ramona and Dorinda for how they've talked about Luann's sobriety, basically. Well, and she's, Leanne is still mad at Dorinda for Giovanni, right? I, I mean, think I, it started as Giovanni and then it and spiraled then because then they both spoke about each other in the press. And the most right. interesting thing about New York is that the press and page six always makes it into a season. <laughs> it does, like, page six. Who reads Since season page six? one? No one cares. Yes, since season one. But I feel like that's such an authentic piece. It's a real thing because they all call various editors and journalists and they give each other scoops. Like they give scoops. Well, and I feel like that because, you know, when when New York first started going back to season one, it was about this 
you know, Upper East Side like society. society. And I feel yeah. like even if you're not on the Housewives, that little niche of Upper East Side society, like that just goes on regardless. So yeah. that's why I think it like, like, okay, if in Beverly Hills, if we're talking about so-and-so said this and so said I feel like it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's, it doesn't come across as authentic, but in New York, it's, it just has a completely different feeling. I think so too. It's, it's they genuinely have these relationships and they can cho- pick and choose what dirt they want to get out there to mm. the rest of New York society, of right. which they are a part. I don't think, the, like, if you look at, for example, the Real Housewives of Dallas and they talk about society, just the fact that they joined a reality show means they automatically are no longer part of that society. They talk about it, but right. they, they're not, right? But these well, women is it Cameron still kind of like she legit is, society? She is legit society, but like you know that people judge the fact that she's on the show. Oh, for sure, for sure. I feel like she kind of still has I feel like she has like one step in each camp. She does. And Stephanie Holman was saying that there were people that she thought she was friends with who as soon as yeah. she was on the show started treating her differently. So, right. but in New right. York, like Bethany Frankel is always going to be a certain part of New York society, whether she's on the right. show or not. Right. And you, yeah. you know, and so it's just different. So it's well, just, and Luann yeah. too. I mean, she, yeah. you know, I think regardless of, you know, regardless of Tom or not, I think that she will always be the countess. She will. And, and also, you know, just because her wait, she didn't legally change her name, right? I don't think she ever filed the paperwork. She just changed it on social media and then changed it back, right? And she changed it back. So yeah, technically she is. But wasn't it um, published that technically she no longer is a countess because she really yes. did get remarried? Okay, okay. Yes, but you know, whatever. One thing that I took away from this episode that concerns me is mm-hmm. when. So at one point, the blondes and the brunettes go to warring dinners across the street from each other in the Hamptons. They're at two different venues. It's like in Best in Show when they say they were at Starbucks across the street from each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Luann holds this dinner with the people that helped stage her intervention for when Uh she went to rehab the second time. And right. all these women are recounting what happened that day. And it is much worse than what I thought. It wasn't just that she was drinking. It was that she was manic. And she yes. was making it's, bad financial decisions. She wanted to buy that house. Like, yeah, it sounded like she was literally having a meltdown. A full-on, like, a, a totally encompassing meltdown. So she needed $6 million to buy this house in upstate New York, and she could not find it, which is what eventually led her to think about selling the Hamptons house, which is what led her children to take legal action to prevent her from doing that, um, right. which is also what then put her in rehab. <laughs> so, right, right. But at the point where she was trying to gather the $6 million, it sounds like she called pretty much anyone that she knew with six million dollars i love Um, that she had like a list of that many people (laughs) like she said it wasn't that long but like she asked bethany yeah and then she asked dennis i know oh i know god and speaking of dennis yeah i can't wait till next week where they talk 
about him. And someone says, well, he couldn't have been that great at it. He was a drug addict. And I'm like, ooh, are we really going to talk about this? Because thus far, that has not come up. They just said he died. So. Right. I mean, I feel like Bethany alluded to it a bit in in the first episode, you know, during her confessional when they were like, okay, let's address this. Um, but she I feel like seems she kind to of make it sound like he hurt himself and was taking painkillers. Right. Which right. Is how it starts, but not how it ends. Right. And also, I mean, going back to the Luann thing, you know, I I feel like I feel like maybe more is going to come out, um, but also. I feel like she kind of glossed over the um, kids slash count lawsuit situation a tiny bit just because not this week, but the week before when she was kind of going over it, I was like, okay, I don't fully understand what you're saying. But I, I feel like now that we're getting more information about that, she was having this, you know, manic episode. It makes sense. And this is just what I'm you know, putting together in my head about, okay, if she was just solely an alcoholic, that would be one thing. But I feel like there are a lot of other issues that probably came into play. And if she, you know, does have manic depression or if she is bipolar or, you know, something along those lines, then I understand more, you know, how the legal stuff came into play and why it was so intense. Yeah, but so, why her kids went? It because mm-hmm. at one point it sounded like they were spoiled brats in a way, not letting their because they wanted right. their share of the money. But I right. actually think they're not spoiled brats at all. They're very concerned yeah. about their mother, and they were Agreed. willing to do whatever it took to stop some of her behavior. But Agreed. it came across in this week's episode that Barbara got power of attorney for Luann. I know that, that was. Shocking. Crazy, and I, I do remember Barbara from was it last season or the season before when she had that little conversation with Carol, and it was just like yes, they, that they was were two um, seasons ago. Two seasons ago, I She's do gonna remember go through with that. it regardless with right. the marriage to Tom, even though it was clear she probably shouldn't marry him. Right, and I, but I didn't realize that she and Luann had been friends for so long. I thought that whenever I see like other people at these parties it and they don't necessarily seem like they want to be there you know it's yeah it seems like those are the true friends that are like okay my friend's a reality star so I'm gonna go but (laughs) (laughs) you know like I would much rather hang out with her without all the cameras how do you feel about Barbara as a I won't say she is a housewife because that killed me did you hear Ramona's comment she was like well she's not a housewife they didn't give her an apple (laughs) like Ramona's such a bitch. Um, so in the best way. Uh, I know. I love Ramona. So I like Barbara. I'm very interested. I like that all of these women are basically single, um, mm-hmm. or at least they're unmarried. And that is fascinating to watch that many women of those ages all trying to navigate like their independence. Mm-hmm. And it's empowering, I think. Um, and I'm very interested to see this because it, it seems like she's so close close with Luann and it right. sounds like she had previous relationships with some of the other women. And I think those will suffer 
because she's decided to come in strong for Luann. Not just right. as a like housewife's tactic, but I think she's yeah. genuinely, she saw Luann at her breaking point, and I think she is truly concerned. At the same right. time, I do kind of side with Dorinda about the idea that, okay, if Luann is so vulnerable in her sobriety, she probably shouldn't be out in public yet. Right. No. Yeah. Like I, she I, should be in mm-hmm. rehab or in like some sort of halfway program. Right. Or like an intensive outpatient. Yeah. If she's not yeah. comfortable at a barbecue or whatever that was. The clam bay. Yeah. Whatever. I'm allergic to shellfish. <laughs> so I'm just like, eh. <laughs> I know. I was like, how many times can we say clam bake in one episode? So the clam bake. You know, if she's uncomfortable being a clam bake with people that she had, whatever, it doesn't matter. If she can't handle that stress, then she's probably not ready for prime time in terms of her sobriety. And so I thought it was a bad excuse and I thought it was a reason to create drama. I completely agree because when she said, I don't think I'm ready for this, I was like, okay, well, you're fine with going to the clam bake if it's people you like, but if it's Dorinda, then you're not okay. So you're using that as an excuse. I, t- I totally thought the same thing. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. But I, and I know that, you know, it, in the first episode when they did the, you know, coming this season or whatever, and they showed, you know, Bethany flipping on Luann, which, you know, could go either way because it could be, you know, a total, a complete shift where, you know, there is, there is a rift or caused between them or I, and I feel like this is the way I'm leaning is that it could be, you know, just like, um, Christmas in the Berkshires a couple years ago where, you know, Bethany's yelling at Luann one second and the next season second, they're completely fine. So I'm leaning towards the former. I think Bethany is giving Luann some space right now to, kind of revel in her sobriety and say how fantastic she is. (laughs) And I think Bethany's tolerance for that is going to get pretty thin. And she's going to want to see Luann make more improvements. And Luann's not going to improve. She's just going to be where she is right now. She can only handle a certain level of (laughs) self-actualization. Mm-hmm. she's pretty low. <laughs> I mean, that. I'm impressed with the level that she's at now, considering where yes. we started 10 years ago. Yes. Yes. So, she was delusional. And now she's, she's a little, <laughs> she's like a two like knocks down. Yeah. So she's yeah, only exactly. semi delusional right now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But Bethany in her, in Bethany's mind is like real, right? She's the only right. one that knows realness and understands what's really happening in the right, world right. and whatever. And so I think she sees some of Luann's delusions and is trying to like poke and pop that bubble. And yeah. Luann will not allow, like she will not allow that to be popped. Ramona was right. 14 days or 21 days or however long she was gone was not enough to dig into deep-seated and deep-rooted oh, issues no. that people have that lend them in rehab to begin with. So she yeah. has not addressed the real trauma and the real reasons why she turned to alcohol, let alone exactly. develop true coping mechanisms. Exactly. And that's what I was... 
not laughing about, but kind of just like, are you serious right now? You know, after she got back from rehab the first time, remember when she was, you know, in that car coming in the Uber coming back from rehab and she was talking on speakerphone, I think to Dorinda and she was, you know, like, oh my God, I just, I'm so good, whatever. And as I've never had experience being an alcoholic, but as someone with, I have an addictive personality and I've been to treatment, inpatient treatment for an eating disorder and it's, you know, a similar mindset. And you, I think in any type of addiction, you don't go to rehab once and you're fixed. I do right. not believe in that whatsoever. And I mean, I've been in therapy 20 years and I'm like still figuring shit out. So I think that was you know, when she's coming back from rehab the first time and she's just like, oh, you know, it's going to be great. And then she jumped right into the cabaret. I was like, I could see it then. I was like, this is not gonna work. And even two times, you know, I think, and I don't know what the exact statistic is, but I think if you look at anyone who has maintained sobriety for a long period of time and is actually working the program and, you know, successful, they, everyone will tell you like they had to go to rehab a couple times. Like it just doesn't work the first time. And so, I mean, not that I think, I mean, I don't know, not that I am saying like, Oh, she needs to go to rehab again. Like, but I feel like it's a little, I guess a little hearing her say again, you know, like when she was at that dinner table and she was talking about this, I got the impression that she was kind of saying like, oh my God, yes, I was in this horrible place and now I'm completely different and it's all fixed. Right, exactly. But really it's a band-aid. Exactly. And I think it's going to frustrate Bethany as Bethany is also handling the loss of someone who had addiction. Right. Well, and, and this is the other thing, and I'm curious to know your opinion on this, I feel like as I, I mean Bethany is a, a hard a hard a hard one to completely crack because I feel like as you know self actualized as she is and as kind of in touch as with she those things she is as she thinks <laughs> with those core issues that she is I do feel like there's also a bit of narcissism there and there's also you know there's some I feel like she vacillates between, you know, the person who she thinks she is and then the person that she is. Um, So my other question is, is being that, yeah, she's dealing with the loss of Dennis and the fact that Dennis, you know, from what we know, we think probably had a similar issue to um, Luann. Do you think that Bethany is going to start projecting that onto Luann? Probably. I think so, too. Yeah, Bethany is a full-fledged narcissist. There is no getting around that. Um, she is in survival mode For all sure. the time, and she cannot get out of it. And I don't think she will ever truly give herself the amount of time and therapy she needs to understand why she's fully in survival mode and break those habits. She is yeah. going, 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 because mm-hmm. if she stops, she will lose her effing mind. Yes. Yes. And I think that's just how she, how she, um, lives and that's your, and even, and my therapist has said this to me before, like, even if you are in a state of discontentment, if that's been your state for so long, you really are 
you're still comfortable in it, even though it's not a good, like a, an enjoyable state to be in, you are, you know, naturally drawn to your most comfortable state, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think I'm saying it the way no, she no, said no. it. No, no, no. It's you're, you're drawn to what you know. And exactly. what you know feels comfortable. And if what you know exactly. is even you're not being the most happy, that's mm-hmm. still comfortable because it's what you know. Yep. I totally exactly. get that. Now, switching gears for a moment, I wanted to get your thoughts. I don't think you watched Atlanta, but it sounds like some shit went down this week when they taped the reunion. Have you heard any of this? I have not. So tell me. Okay, so on last week's episode, or maybe two weeks ago, Nini was, her husband Greg has cancer, and there's a lot of issues with that, mainly that I don't think she plays the role of caregiver very well, and he wants her to play that role. He doesn't want there to be nurses or anything like that. So she's very, very stressed and he ends up back in the hospital and she ends up having this party anyhow and all the women come over and she is like, has a breakdown and they all comfort her. And then after the breakdown, like a full breakdown, they're up in her room and Candy has always heard about Mimi's closet. It's like, can I see your closet? I'm finally here, which I think she lived, they live maybe like 45 minutes from each other. So... Uh Nini says no, but Candy lets herself into the closet anyhow. Then Portia goes in. Nini keeps telling them, like, don't, like, it's not ready for people to look at. It's, like, not put together. Well, the cameraman follows them in. And then Nini follows the cameraman and rips his shirt off. And gets physical with the cameraman. So then you see the cameras go down. You see all of the cameraman's little booties. They were, like, surgical booties when they filmed in people's houses. You see all of that, and Portia feels like threatened. She's pregnant. She doesn't want to be around violence, and <laughs> shit went down. And I think at the reunion, Andy Cohen and the castmates kind of really kind of hold her feet to the fire about her not treating Greg well, about her you know not handling things well, and she's one of those people who's like an extreme narcissist like extreme but she's so funny and likable that people forget that Mm -hmm. but it sounds like she unfollowed every member of the cast except one after the reunion and unfollowed Andy but then I thought that Andy came out and he said oh I just checked and we are following each other Maybe. I think at Twitter, yes. I think Instagram, no. But maybe she heard about that and then followed him again. But I think he was asking some real questions and she can't handle. Like, she is always right in her mind. She cannot. And that's an issue with many of these housewives is they cannot see themselves as as having ever made a mistake. Ever. Mm -hmm. And some of them don't even apologize for hurting other people's feelings when they don't mean to let alone when right. it's intentional. So, yeah, that's what's going on in Atlanta. And it's Gosh. crazy because some of these people, like Cynthia, they've been friends forever. And there's, I mean, through the good and the bad and, like, Nini being on the show and leaving the show and coming back, like, Cynthia's always been there. Right. But I think even Cynthia's like, you know, you're not being very good to Greg. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's hard because it's it's like one of those situations where it's like unless you've ever 
you know, been in that situation yourself, like, you know, what would you really do? Um, but I mean, I don't, but yeah, I do, I do, you know, I don't watch Atlanta, but I know enough about Nene to say that, yeah, I think she is, she's, she's tough. And I think it would be very difficult for her to, mm-hmm. you know, as Lisa Rinna says, completely own it. And, um, totally. Yeah. Well, she also like, it's the Nene show and the fact that like right. attention right. has to go elsewhere. It doesn't yes. work for her when she was in the TV, like sitcom. Um, I forgot what it was called. It was like about a gay couple who needed a surrogate and it's like the surrogate, the new normal. And Nini was the assistant to one of the men in the couple. And that was okay. the role that she played. And when she did red carpet events and people were like, so what's the sitcom about? She's like, well, it's about this assistant who like <laughs> <laughs> happens to work for a couple who happens to be having a surrogate. Like, to have, you know what I mean? It, it, right. That's her view of the world. Yeah. And it's just, I think Andrew Reynolds uh, said that because he was one of the lead characters in it. Um, And he was like, oh, dear, that's what she thinks this is about. Like, in her mind, that is what the show was. But everyone watching the show knew that that was, like, it was not about her. It was about the family. Yeah. And and just in her mind, everything is just totally warped. And then I had one other question for you. So yes. I know you're not into Vanderpump Rules, but the big thing that happened this week was Tom Sandoval got into a big blowout fight with Katie Maloney Schwartz, his best friend and business partner's wife, over okay. whether or not James Kennedy could go on a trip that the two Toms were, whatever, planning. And okay. Katie has a major issue with James Kennedy. She basically gave an ultimatum to Lisa Vanderpump to get him fired because he called her fat and did other really (laughs) terrible things. But I'm wondering if two guys are best friends, Mm -hmm. do they also have an allegiance to their best friend's wife? If two guys are best friends, do they have an allegiance to their best friend's wife? Like did he, did Tom Sandoval cross a line, not because he was wrong in what he was saying, but because he was picking on his best friend's wife? Um, yes, I would say that he's wrong because I'm trying to think of it in terms of like my husband and his best friend who, I mean, most of his good friends are his cousins, um, which is a lot of people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) he has like 82. Um, I'm trying to think of this one, this one cousin who also actually has a fiance. And I think if. Like, even if the fiancé maybe did something in the wrong, so if don't his want to fi- call out. If, okay, so if my husband's cousin's fiancé did something wrong, it, would, or not would wrong, it be? But whatever it was, you kind of, like, they have to side with their spouse. Like, so Tom Schwartz basically is like, you know what, I know people feel whatever, but I'm standing by my wife. If she's uncomfortable with this guy, he can't come on the trip. And I have to tell Tom Sandoval to uninvite him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I believe that that's, you know, I mean, it's just interesting to see two guys who are best friends. And then sometimes there may be conflict with the significant others. But like, you choose your spouse, always, and you never want your friend to put you in that position. Yes, I, 
yeah, I I am of that mind. Yes, because um, I, I mean, not the same situation really at all, but a very low key version of that situation. When my husband and I were first dating, there were two of his cousins that said um, mostly everyone was okay. I mean, it was kind of a big deal just because I'm not Persian, but. Um, but everyone, their whole thing was every, every one of his family members asked me, they're like, but are you Jewish? Like, as long as I was Jewish, like then it was okay. (laughs) And, um, and two of his cousins just actually like the first time I met them, it was on a trip to Big Bear and they like literally came right up and asked me, they were like, are you Jewish? And I said, well, I'm half. And they later, I found out that um, they had said to my husband, there's no way she's really half Jewish. I don't think she's half Jewish. We think she's conning you. And why would you also lie about being Jewish? It's not like it's come with like great things (laughs) in the world. (laughs) Right. Um, and, and actually, and later with my rabbi, I did, and I didn't even know this was a thing, but if you are half, like okay, gene- genealogically, if you're half Jewish by blood, there is a you can still do a conversion if your father was the Jew, become like f- full yeah. Jewish or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I-, I did do that actually before we got married because his not just because his dad wanted me to, but whatever. Um, anyways, so when they found out about that, they were like, ha ha ha, see. And oh we were like, God. okay, whatever, you fucking morons. Um, so it did. It didn't drive a wedge between my husband and I. But I will say that my husband and these two cousins, and the the two cousins are brothers, by the way. Um, they used to be much closer than they are now. Yeah, you don't come for your friend or cousin's person. Yeah. It's just a recipe for disaster. You just need to know where the line is. And I think Tom Sandoval comes around. He does come around at the end of the episode and does say, you're right. I'm standing with you who is standing with your wife and will uninvite this guy. That's crazy about those cousins, though. But there's a lot of Jewish drama. And I learned this week that nobody in the world knows how many Jews exist in the U.S. because none of us can agree who's Jewish. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. It's like somewhere between two and seven million. <laughs> that is so funny. Like, you know what? That actually, that it explains everything. Do you Just, think that Kyle Richards, did we, did she convert to Judaism? Yes, she did. It's just interesting because they don't really show that aspect of Kyle's life, like the Judaism. She mentions it every once in a while, but I'm always curious. And like, do you think, you know, Mauricio's family was judgmental of her? I'm sure that, um, I'm sure because the, the Sephardic Jews, which, which he is, yes, which he Mm -hmm. is. And, um, you know, they will tell you to your face. They're like, well, we were the very first Jews, you know, because they originated out of Egypt and all this stuff and whatever. And they are very, like, proud to be Jewish. It's a very thing. So I would imagine that, and I think I actually heard this before, that his parents said, you know, like, well, she has to convert in order. She also was a single mother. 
So there was a lot going on there in terms of judgment, I'm sure, that she faced from his family. Well, the one thing is, is that, you know, when they first met, Mauricio was like a nobody. I know. Really. It was true love. <laughs> <laughs> Let me believe it, okay? Let me believe it. Well, just, yeah, you just stay in your little bubble. Um, no, they they lived in this little apartment in Beverly Hills that is – I'm not going to say it's not the nice area of Beverly Hills, but it's not like the, it's not like whatever. It's not like the flats of Beverly Hills. But anyway, and I have this one girlfriend that says that she remembers seeing Kyle drive around in her little like beat up Honda Civic. And I'm just like, oh my God. Um, But I can see how, because his parents are in real estate as well. And I can see what, I guess my point is I can see how his parents, I don't think that most Sephardic Jewish parents would be like, oh, she's a single divorced mother who's also not Jewish. I, I mean, just having having married into a Sephardic family, um, I don't think most would be okay with that. But I can see how maybe his parents would be like, well, this could work for you because, you know, she does come from somewhat of – a famous family and she has connections. And at that time, you know, Kathy was already married to Rick Hilton. So I don't, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying that if that did happen, I would believe it, I guess is my point. But I mean, they're definitely members at this, this one temple and all their kids went to school there, but I don't think they're very, you know, I mean, I don't know. I know a lot of people that do go to that temple and I have never said like, oh yeah, we saw them during the high holidays or anything like that. Like, I don't know, which at our temple, we, you know, the only time you see like any celebrities is like during the high holidays. That's like the one time a year when they come and they write, you know, I, I sat behind Elena Kagan, one of the Supreme court justices one year. (laughs) That's like a legit celebrity by celebrity at our temple. I'm talking about like, um, I mean, I'm trying to think like Josh Altman from like million dollar listing. Hey, that's a serious celebrity. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm telling you, if anyone from Bravo showed up at my synagogue, I would lose my shit. Oh, well, he was sitting behind us at Yom Kippur this year. Oh, my God. I I need to, like, spend some time in L.A. and just <laughs> absorb this. Because it's like, you know, watching just even the few minutes that they had in Washington, D.C., I knew every single place that they were. And so I'm like, I can't, can't even imagine watching a show filmed in Beverly Hills and living in Beverly Hills and knowing all the places that are being filmed. Well, the funny thing about that is, is that like some of the places that they film at, even if they are in Beverly Hills, you would assume that they would, I don't know. I mean, watching it, I'm assuming that people that are watching it from a very, very outsider point of view are thinking like, oh, wow, that must be like such a fancy restaurant or something. When in reality, most of the places that they film in are like places that I go to lunch wearing like Lululemons and Uggs. Like it's it's also places that will allow permits. Like sometimes super fancy places won't let you. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like even even like Mastro's, which is not like the fanciest of all – or like here's a better example. Like Spago. Like Spago's ne- never letting them film in there because 
the real like legit celebrities that go there wouldn't be like caught dead, you know, like but- Denise Richards. Just <laughs> She's a legit celebrity. I am so happy to have her on this season. We haven't even ch- talked about her. Yeah, and I did. Oh no, I still have to do a Patreon on my on my Denise experience. Um, but like the Beverly Hills episode this week when they went horseback riding, mm-hmm. who was I? I was talking to Brandon about this. I was like, oh my god, I'm cracking up because back when, um, so after I quit teaching because you can't live on a teacher's salary in La- Los Angeles. I mean, you can, but I, I mean, whatever. I'm it's kind of a brat. Mm-hmm. It's not pretty. No, no, no. Um, I wouldn't be living on the West Side, that's for sure. Um, anyway, so I was a nanny for a number of years, and and the weird fuck. One of the weird things about LA is that you can make six figures as a nanny, but you can't as a teacher. But anyways, so one of the kids that I nannied for, she rode at the same stables that they went to on Beverly Hills this week. And so I was telling Brandon, I was like, oh my God, I'm cracking up watching this because they're riding. They're like, isn't this beautiful? And then they're like, oh, this is the LA river. I don't know what people know about the LA river, but the I've LA never river. never heard of it. So it can't be pretty. It's not a river, you guys. It The LA River was made, man-made, because they needed a way to route all the sewage water from the valley to, to dump into the Long Beach Ocean, into the ocean out of the Long Beach Pier. That's what the LA River is. It's literally sewage water. They dug this, like, ravine, poured concrete in it, and it's gross, nasty brown sewage water that flows from, I think, starts at Simi Valley, which is, like, north of Calabasas, and flows all the way down to the port of Long Beach. That's what the LA River is. It's disgusting. That's disgusting. It's disgusting. It smells like shit, like literally, and no one goes there. And it runs parallel to the 101 freeway. So when Erica's running, riding over it and she's like, oh, it's the LA River. I'm like, oh my God. They probably cut off the the second thing that she said, which is like, smells like shit. (laughs) And then when they went to that restaurant, the stable that they went to is in Burbank. It's like deep in the valley. And, um, this little restaurant that they went to is like, I've never been there, but I've driven past it. It's like, how the hell did they, I mean, you're right. It was probably the only place they could get a permit to film, but I'm like, these women would never be caught dead in this place. It's like this teeny tiny restaurant that if you saw the area, you'd be like, what the fuck? I mean, these women would never be in that area to begin with. It's just like, I was laughing when Dorit was there with her fucking Chanel, what do you call them? The, um, Suspender straps. Oh, my God. I did not know those were Chanel, but I did not appreciate the suspenders. What I did appreciate from that venue was Erica Jane ordering a Budweiser because that's where you do it. That is where you do it. And I don't believe that any of the women ate any of the food there. Like, I wouldn't eat any of the food there. (laughs) I'm sure when the cameras went off, they were like, get us out of here. That is so funny. Well, I really appreciate all of your inside scoop. We need to do this again, especially later down the line with Beverly Hills. And you can give me some more scoops on what's really going down with the ladies. Yes. And I, um, I think I told you, you know, off, off air or before we started recording, I am taking our mutual friend, Brandon on a housewives tour this Monday when he comes to LA. Brandon Alvarado, shout out. Yes, so maybe I will try. I will um, record some of that. That would be unbelievable. <laughs> like, 
I'm telling you, when I see places where housewives have been, it is just such an experience. I went to LA uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, and went to Sur and Pump and went in the back of Sur where they get into fights kind of by the dumpster and did a little photo shoot. By the parking structure? <laughs> yes. <laughs> by the West Hollywood Library. <laughs> it was so funny. It was like the back of Sir. I was like, this is such an important place. Do you know what that used to be, by the way? What? So this is one of the reasons why I don't watch Vanderpump Rules because I, I used to literally live across the street. And um, I worked in this store that was like, so where Sir is, it was just on the other side of Melrose. So just behind that restaurant, Chaconis, um, I used to work at the store. And so when they were doing construction on Sir, like I, I saw all of it and that, that where Pump is, it's a really weird location. That place, it used to be like this weird coffee place. And then before that, it was like, it's been a bajillion things and like nothing has ever stayed there. So it's a miracle that Pump has been in business this long. But um, where Sir is, behind where it is and where like the Sir Lounge is now, used to be like a junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like prime real estate in West Hollywood. Yeah, that part of um, that little corner of WeHo has always kind of been a shit show. And they've built it out now that where the West Hollywood, like City Hall, that's always been there. But where they built the library and that huge parking structure, like when I first in li lived, moved to L.A., like a, in 2003, that was just like literally just m dirt and like car parts. Like that's what it was. That's amazing. And now it is part of Lisa Vanderpump's elegance. Although when I was there, I felt like the clientele were not very elegant. And I was a no, little disappointed by it, that. It seemed a little trashy. It felt trashy. Yeah. That's one of the things that if you talk to anyone who lives in LA, like I, I've personally never been to Sir or Pump, but if you talk to anyone who lives in LA, they're like, yeah, I wouldn't go there. Because I think it's... <laughs> It just it has the reputation here at least of being like a very touristy, very um Is it kind of like in New York, like no one wants to go to Times Square? Yeah. So like if you're visiting from Japan, that's exactly where you want to go. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, glad, I'm glad I got that analogy done. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's so funny. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you online? Um, yes, you can find my podcast, The Real Housewife of the West Side, uh, because I am a housewife and I do live on the West Side, um, is on iTunes. My Patreon is patreon.com slash R-H-O-W. And um, my Instagram is The Real Housewife of the West Side. It's really long. And my Twitter is R-H-O West Side. Thank you so much for being on, and we are definitely going to do this again. Two Jewish girls from different coasts <laughs> recapping Housewives. <laughs> there, that's that's a better podcast title than my podcast. <laughs> oh, from DC to LA, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Two Jewish girls convincing all over the franchises are in LA. <laughs> Thank you.
So that's it for this week's episode. Please be sure to subscribe and follow on Twitter and Instagram at ITRL underscore podcast. See you next week. Also, you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus. The bulbous walrus. The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.